Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. If you're being encouraged or challenged by this teaching, would you consider giving us a five-star review? That review and rating moves us up the list so others might find us more easily so they too can benefit from this podcast. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. We're going on to the third part of the series, People of the Way, People of the Way. And People of the Way is a term that was used for the early church. They were considered the people of the way, those of that way. Uh, in, the, in the last couple of um, sermons in this, I've opened up in the book of Acts, where the apostle Paul, before he was an apostle, before he was a Christian, he was a Christian hater. I mean, he loathed Christians to the point that he gave permission for the first de- one of the first deacons of the church to be murdered, Stephen. Right? He gave his permission. He stood there and, and presided over the death of Stephen. Then he went to the, the high priests and, and he desired of them and he got from the high priest, the council, letters so that he could go to Damascus. So when he got to Damascus, he could track down any who were of the way put them in chains, men or women, and drag them back to Jerusalem. And listen, you know what his attitude was, so that they too could join Stephen. And so that was where we kind of get the first idea of the people of the way. And the people of the way are distinctive. There's something different about them. The apostle Paul was going to Damascus, and he was going to track down the people of the way. And one of the questions that we've asked as we got going in this series was if Paul came to Hooksit or Manchester looking for the people of the way, would he find you, right? Would he say, oh, you're one of those people? Now, I know the culture we're in, we don't want to be one of those people, but folks, you want to be one of those people. You want to be the kind of person that the Apostle Paul shows up in Hooksit, Manchester, Auburn, Candia, you name it, and, and finds out, oh, that is a person of the way, even if it means persecution. So the people of the way, here's a quick and dirty definition. The people of the way knew Jesus, were known by Jesus, And the last few sermons, and this one's going to follow, were known because of Jesus. They were known by Jesus, they knew Jesus, and they were known because of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12. It's going to be up on the screen, but turn over to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or your spiritual service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by, gra- by the grace given to me, I say that every, to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Some of y'all need to underline that in your Bibles. All right, like I do. Um, probably early on, I had to underline that in my Bible. You ought not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving the one who teaches in his teaching, and the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor that which is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. I love this next phrase. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show, seek for ways, right? To show hospitality, not for ways to get out of it. Bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Um, Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. That's in there? Forget it. Let's just close in prayer. Daggum, that's in there. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. I'm, I'm not going to get into that this morning, but I want to I clarify something. Some of y'all are thinking burning coals so they can burn through his skull into his brain and kill him. That's not the kind of burning coals that you're heaping on his head. It's coals of conviction. So when they recognize that they've wronged you, they would repent of it and seek forgiveness and restoration. I digress. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. People of the way. People of the way. I'll tell you, if there was ever a a passage that describes the distinctive nature of the people of the way, it's the passage that we just read. Romans 12, man, if you have not read through that and read through it slowly and kind of just assimilate it into your life, just absorb it, can I challenge you to read Romans chapter 12 every day? This Just read it every day. 
I know that's going to mess up your legalistic read the Bible in a year plan. Right? Just maybe add that to your Bible in a year. But read that chapter. Let it soak in. We're going to find out why in a moment. So this passage really kind of, it sets us up again uh, so that we can understand that it all begins with the beginning. And it all begins with the very beginning. So what do I mean by that? When you get to verse number one of this passage, it, it reiterates a truth to us. It reminds us that the only way that we become people of the way is when we receive the mercy of God. It begins at the beginning. You cannot walk the way until you've come through the way, which is Jesus. There is no, I was just talking with someone the other day about this. It's, it's been kind of stewing with me lately. There is no excuse. There is no excuse for your sin. Zero. There's no excuse. You can't make an excuse for your sin. When you go to God to seek forgiveness, you don't say, Lord, I'm an idiot because my parents were mean to me. That's an excuse. It might, listen, it's not an, it might be a reason, but it's not an excuse. It doesn't excuse you from bad behavior. Lord, I, I abused people because I was abused. There might be a reason in there, but it's not a, it doesn't excuse you. You follow what I'm saying? There are people that were abused who have grown up and refused to continue the cycle of abuse. And they broke the chain. So folks, being abused doesn't give us an excuse to abuse others. I was treated poorly, and so I'm going to treat others poorly. This guy took me for a ride, so I'm going to take everybody else for a ride. You name it, whatever it is. There is no excuse for our sin. None. Zero. Again, there may be reasons why you're as messed up as you are, besides that we are all born sinners. But there is no excuse. And so what do we do? We come to God the Father through Jesus the Son, and we don't make excuse, we seek pardon. And we seek a pardon. A pardon recognizes that you sinned, you blew it, but someone else is paying the penalty. And that is the mercy of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's what Jesus said. And this cross behind me, this cross behind me, that's what it's all about. When he died on that cross, he took the penalty for all of the sins of the world for all time. For all time. You're like, well, what about the sins I do in the future? Those of you that are believers and you're struggling, what about the sins I do in the future? Um, do you realize that Jesus died 2,000 years ago and all of your sins were future? You, got, you follow what I'm saying? Like, all of your sins were in his future. Like, the thing about God, though, is everything is now. And so he looks at you as a whole being, past, present, future, and he sees the entirety of your life. And when you come to Christ and you ask God for forgiveness based on the bloody cross of Jesus and his sacrifice and his resurrection from the dead, not based on your good works or your excuses or your hedging. When you come to him simply with the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he pardons you and you become a child of God. That's where it all begins. It, it all begins at the beginning. So it begs the question, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? I hope that you do. I hope that you have 
received the pardon. Now, once you've received the pardon, Paul has some instructions for us. He says, okay, those of you that have received the pardon, now you offer yourself to God. You offer yourself to God with spiritual worship, or the King James says reasonable service, and actually they're both the same, because service is worship when it's done well. So when I'm out here mowing the lawn and Brett gets all angry at me because I almost flipped the mower over and, and uh, the tires are looking like, art, don't get mad at me, when we peel rubber and we're starting to lose the nubs on the tires, and I'm serving Jesus, guys. Like, I'm worshiping as I'm mowing that lawn. Folks, it could be mowing the lawn. It could be picking up trash in the church. It could be teaching children in our kids' ministries. It could be having somebody over for dinner and just loving them and ministering to them. I mean, I can't tell you the times like the Lamontanes have come to my family and said, hey, Eric, we are, we are with you. We are here for you. And if you need anything, let us, especially when my kids were younger, Right? And they saw us going through some stuff. They're like, we'll take the kids. You and Trish just go out. We'll take them. And, and it's not just with me. I've seen them do with that with other, other parents who just needed a break. And folks, there's other people here in the church. Listen, when you do that with Jesus, that is spiritual worship. You are worshiping the Lord with your service. The guys and lady in the, in the sound booth, in our, in our AV booth, they're, they're, it's not just Angel up on the stage with Melissa and the team here. Uh, it's, it's everyone that gives service to God. You are worshiping Him. So it all begins at the beginning when we come to Christ, but then we're called to serve Him. We're called to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. Now listen, here's the deal. Again, I'm going to reiterate this point. You are not holy because you do not sin. You are not acceptable because you're not sinning. You are holy and acceptable by the mercy of God. That's it. You're not holy and acceptable because you've cleaned up your act and you're a really good guy. You're holy and acceptable because you're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. That, was, that is what makes you his child. And so you can always approach the throne of grace. Because you're going through Jesus. And what the devil wants to do is he wants to convince you that the only way you can approach God's throne is when you've cleaned yourself up enough so that he can stand to look at you. The only way you're cleaned up is through the blood of Jesus. Now once you've done this and you approach him and you say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. It's much like in the book of Isaiah. Way back in the Old Testament, Isaiah was a prophet, and God was calling for someone to go and to be a prophet and preacher. And, and Isaiah said this, here I am, send me. That's what we're talking about. Every morning, and God helped me to do this, I hope he'll help you to do that. If we all do it together, this church is going to be wicked awesome. Every morning we should get up and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. Whatever you want me to do, give me the power and the ability and the will to do it. I am a living sacrifice for you. That is one of the distinctives of being a person of the way. Once we start at the beginning, we can then begin to offer ourselves to the Lord. Now, he has some instructions as we go through this first few verses. He says, don't be conformed to the world. Now, if we're not careful, we take this word conform and we make it more than it is. And, and we say, oh, you shouldn't be pressed in it. 
there's other places that the Bible says, tells us to be conformed into the, into the image of Christ. So it's not as much the word conform as it is the world, right? Conform the world. And truly conform does mean to be pressed into shape, pressed in. And so I do think there is some insight that we can gain from the distinction of these two words in how, and how it relates, how it relates to becoming more like Jesus. He says, don't be pressed into the image of the world. Don't be pressed in. That's a hydraulic press, by the way. Um, I prefer not to go through that, if, if at all possible. This, is, this, by the way, this is legalism. What you see on the screen is legalism. It's churches that have a million standards to tell you how to live your life. And they have their enforcers, and they have their Holy Spirit police officers um, I know of a church that had a Christian school and one of the boys went to the movies <gasps> and someone in the church saw them going to the movies with their parents and ratted them out to the school that the church was operating and the child was kicked out of the school for breaking the rules because it was ungodly to go to a Disney movie. That's called legalism. Now, this is the other side of legalism. He says don't be conformed to the world. Legalism is trying to conform you, press you into their image of Christ. I won't say the image of Christ because they have in their mind what Christ looks like. And a lot of times it isn't the Bible Christ, right? A lot of times they call sin, uh, they call something sin that is not sin. You follow? You tracking with me? That's what legalists like to do. They like to control you. Now, he says, don't be pressed into the image of the world. Don't be pressed into the world. Don't be conformed to the world. Now, this is a really interesting thing to me. If you're a person of the way, and, and God is saying, don't be conformed to this world, it indicates something. It indicates this. We are no longer of the world. If you have to be pressed into the image of something, it means that you're not that image anymore. Listen, man, this is deep. This is wicked cool. And I'm a native New Englander, so as you know, I can say that. This is deep. When you came to Christ, He gave you a new nature. And that new nature is the opposite of the world. That new nature wants to do good. That new nature wants to do what is right. That new nature wants to worship God, serve God, be with God every single day. That is who you are as a believer. You say, well, pastor, I don't always feel that way. Um, <laughs> faith flies in the face of feelings. I, I was talking with someone this week. Feelings are, are a gift of God, and they're wonderful, and they're a blessing to us right up until the moment where they're perverted and they start to control us. Uh, we did a series here, Emotion Commotion, and, and in that series, I, I put up a picture of a thermometer and a thermostat. Your feelings are a thermometer, but they are not the thermostat. They can inform you, but they should not control you. So you might say, I don't feel like a child of God. I don't feel like I'm a person of the way. That doesn't change the reality of the transaction that occurred when you cried out to Jesus to be your Savior. He saved you, period. He holds you. He keeps you. He is transforming you. And you are a child of the King. 
And so to be conformed to the world means that you're going against your true nature. It's really quiet. I'm wondering, Lord, are they getting this? So I struggle with this myself. It's called your spiritual identity. And when we don't live out of our spiritual identity, you know where we live? In sin and in failure, discouragement and depression. I went away for counseling about a year and a half ago. And while I was away for counseling, I went away and, and I had to answer a question. And I know I'm your pastor, so I'm going to reveal a few things. So uh, if this is my last sermon preaching, I'm going to make it worth it. Um, when I got to counseling, I had to fill out a questionnaire. I had to be brutally honest, and I'm not going to tell you everything I put on there. But one of the questions was, on a, on a scale of 1 to 10, how close do you feel to God right now? What would you think that I put? What would you think I should be putting there? I'm a pastor. Sasha says an 8 or a 9. I agree with you. I wish that's what I put. I put a 3. I put a 3. And they said, how well do you think this program's going to work? And I'm like, I'll believe it when I see it. Because I was struggling. My identity was flipped. Right, you follow? You with me now? My identity was flipped. I was not living out of who I am in Christ. And I was being conformed. I was being pressed out of who I truly am. And this is what happened over that week. I began to flip back. I began to see myself as I am in the eyes of God, his son, his child. I began to experience freedom in that week. And what I found out was when I walk in freedom, there was, you know that passage where it says joy unspeakable and full of glory in 1 Peter? I began to experience that like I had never experienced it before. And part of it was I was walking really close to Jesus. When I left on a scale of 1 to 10, it was a 9. Right? But the other side of the joy was I was no longer conforming, being pressed into something that I was not. And this is what happens to us. When we start to give in to our our fallen nature, when we start to allow ourselves to be conformed, pressed into the image of the world, we are being something, acting like something, that we are not. And as that occurs, our joy is extinguished. We begin to walk in brokenness and sadness and angst and sometimes anger. Because we're being pressed into something that we're not. And man, when I realized that, it, what, what an enlightenment. Because the greatest joy I ever had was walking in the transformation of Jesus. And the greatest sorrow I experienced was when I was allowing myself to be deceived and walking in the image of the world. So what that told me was this. What that taught me was this. My true person, my true identity is that which brings me the greatest joy, which was walking with Jesus and walking in freedom. It was an eye-opening moment. And some of you all need that. You need to realize that you are not who the devil says you are. You are not. And one of the proofs that you are not is when you're being conformed to the world, you're miserable. Right? If that was your nature, like a fish likes to be in water and swim, that's his nature. 
if your nature was to walk in sin, you would not be miserable all the time. But as a believer in Christ, if you're walking in sin, you're going against your nature and it makes a difference in your life. So I hope that helps. Someone needed to hear that this morning. Stop allowing yourself to be conformed to something that you are no longer. You're a child of God now. Go to Jesus with those brokenness. Go to Jesus with with those problems. When we live in a worldly way, when we live ungodly, it goes against our new nature and we're pressed into a form that no longer fits. And so what does he say? He says, instead of that, be transformed. We've got to transform. So, oh look, it's a beautiful butterfly. Anyone seen Bugs Life? I am a beautiful butterfly. Be transformed, thank you, Lord, by the renewal of your mind. And this is the knowing Jesus part of people of the way. The more we know him, the more consistently we spend time with him, the more we become like him. Oh, it's all over the place. Feel like, all right, let's do a TikTok. I've been practicing this one. I didn't get it right. It's, it's miserable. The more, here's the thing, guys, the more consistently, the more con- consistency is key. It's the key in almost everything in your life, by the way. If you want to be good at something, you need to be consistent. You want to be a good parent? You've got to be consistent with your kids. I can't tell you how many parents have come to me and said, little Johnny is, he's, he's, I think he's the second son of Satan or something. Um, I know he's my son, but I'm not Satan. I'm like, are you sure? I'm not sure which identity you're living out of right now, but well, my wife doesn't like it when I tell him he's not doing right. And, I, and I'm like, you guys got to get on the same page. And they get on the same page for a day. And then they're like, it's not working. I'm like, consistency is key. Okay? So when we consistently spend time with Jesus, y'all coming to church on Sunday morning, that is not enough. This is the foundation, guys. You're supposed to be building on it. We need to consistently spend time with Jesus. This kind of transformation doesn't come from a conscious imitation so much as it comes from a spiritual communion with the Lord. We spend time with Jesus when we spend time in his word. Y'all write this down. This is going to be really easy because you all, here's the thing, Lord, y'all know this. I'm not going to tell you anything new right now. You spend time with Jesus when you spend time in his word. Jesus is a living word. He wrote the word, okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, Logos, Jesus. Okay, so when you read the book of Romans, and you're like, well, Paul wrote this. Yes, Paul was the human author, but Jesus is the Word. Paul wrote only what Jesus wanted him to write. We spend time with Jesus when we spend time in His Word. We spend time with Jesus when we spend time with His church. We spend time with Jesus. Listen, Jesus is in me. He's in you. And when we're together, we're spending time with 
Jesus, we need to be with our people. We need to be in our small groups and our Sunday service. We need to fellowship after the service, right? Um, I can't wait. We're almost there, guys, where we're going to open up some fellowship space and hang out. And uh, I'm going to talk to the guys about be blessed. Be, Lord, help me. Be blessed. Sunday is back this year. I'm looking forward to that, where we have this giant cookout and we invite the whole community. And it's like a block party at a manual, right? We spend time with each other. We're spending time with Jesus. We spend time with, with Jesus, not only when we're in church, and there is another in the fire, and we're worshiping all together, but we spend time with Jesus. Listen, when we worship him alone, how many of y'all worship Jesus when you're alone, when you're by yourself, when you're driving in your car, when you're at home and nobody's around? Folks, if you're not worshiping Jesus when you're outside of this building and it's not song time, you're not going to see a vibrant transformation in your life. We spend time with Jesus when we worship Jesus. We spend time with Jesus uh, when we spend time in prayer and in meditation. When you recognize that he is with you. And when you're praying, it's not just some silly little exercise, but that there's another person on the other side of that prayer. There's another person on the other side of that prayer. Prayer is not just an exercise in thinking. It's an exercise in communicating with someone who's listening to you. He is there. Now you say, well, I don't feel like he's there. Let your feelings catch up to your faith. He is there. Whether you see him, feel him, or not, he is present with you. So, this is, this is the, the way to transformation. It's to spend more and more time with Jesus and to be consistent with it, right? Be consistent with it. You all tracking with me? So, let's measure it. Let's, let's take a measurement. He says test, right? In the, in the early part of the chapter, he says let's, let's test things. Test the will of God. So, this is a measurement. Becoming people of the way we're becoming people the way when we discern the will of the Lord and what is good and acceptable and perfect in our lives. We can measure our growth as believers by the evidence of transformation in our lives. So what's happened here is the apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has given us Romans chapter 12 as the measurement. Here is the measurement. Where are you on that measurement? Now, I know you're all like, is that COVID? I mean, we've all seen enough charts to make our eyeballs fall out. It's not like anybody follows them anyways. Um, I digress. Lord, please help me stay in your will right now because I just want to jump off. Um, not going to plop. We, we, we look at the measurement, and here is the, here is the line where a person of the way is living. Here's the line. And, and so on that chart, you might see a line above all those colored dashes. It's not there, but imagine there's a line above it. That's the line that says, man, you are, you are being transformed. You are distinctive. People on the outside know there's something different about you. Right? That's the people of the way. And the measurement is that line. And then the measure is where we're, how are we doing? And so God doesn't want you to wonder, how am I doing? He wants you to know how you're doing. And so you begin to read Romans chapter 12, and you're like, oh, don't return evil for evil. On my chart, that's kind of like way down here. 
And that tells me there's an area in my life that's not measuring up. You follow? Are you with me? The true measure and stature of a believer is Christ himself. And so he gives you a couple of things, and I'm going to go through them quickly here. The measure of self-awareness. The measurement of self-awareness. Like the measure, are we at a counseling session, pastor? Self-awareness? Yeah, I mean, he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. There's a lot of people walking around who are supposed to be people of the way, but they are not self-aware enough to realize that they're walking around in pride and arrogance and condemnation and judging their brothers and sisters in Christ. And God says, who are you to judge another man's servant? Okay? Now, there's a difference between discerning and condemning, right? And, and so we, we walk around as though we are God, as though we can read people's hearts. Folks, be careful. Be careful, Christians, when you assign motive to people. And that listen, that doesn't just go for the household of faith. That goes for your, your authorities in your school system. It goes for your local government, your state government, and your federal government. It goes for your pastors and your teachers and each other. You can know that you're walking down the wrong path when you begin to condemn other people and you begin to judge people's motivations because you can't read their hearts. Discern and, and, and judge their actions. You can't judge their hearts. Does that make sense to you? This is why we leave judgment to God, because only God knows the heart. You might look at somebody and say, what an arrogant son of a gun. You don't know his heart. Maybe he's just confident. You don't know his heart. You're condemning his motives. Folks, be careful. And when you recognize that arrogance in you, that you're thinking more highly of yourself than you should think. And a matter of fact, God says, think more highly of others than you do yourself in the letter to the church at Philippi, right? When you begin to walk around thinking that you're it and everybody ought to bow to you, that's a problem. And it's revealing to you that there's an area in your life that's not been transformed. There's an area in your life that's, that's been neglected. He goes on, he says, um, do you, uh, he talks about using our gifts. Do you know your gifts and your callings? Are you walking in your gifts and in your callings? Are you? Because as a, as a person of the way, and a, as a person that's being transformed by Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father, you have gifts. And, and, and as you begin to become more like Christ, you're going to use those gifts. So for me, my gift is pastor-teacher. That's my primary number one gift is pastor-teacher, prophet, you name it. That's like my number one gift. I foretell, I teach, and I shepherd. And I've been doing that for years. I did that before I was a pastor. I was shepherding people. I wasn't even fully aware of it. Are you using your gifts? By the way, that leads me into a perfect segue we are getting ready to relaunch Emmanuel Kids Ministries. Can I get an amen? Like we're getting ready to relaunch Emmanuel Kids Ministries. Uh, we're going to call it E-Kids, and, uh, and, uh, and it's coming soon. We're still working out all of the kinks of what it's going to look like in this next iteration of Emmanuel. And if you want to be a part of E-Kids, there's a couple things you need to do. First of all, you need to, you need to be led to it. 
right? Secondly, you need to love kids. Like, if you don't love kids, and I mean in a healthy way, if you don't love kids, we really don't want you working with kids. If you're like that cranky old man that's like, oh, kids are better seen than, no, I mean, better, yeah, better seen than heard or not seen or, you know what I'm saying, the cranky old man that's like, I can't believe you kicked your ball in my yard again. What the heck is wrong with you? Dude, it's a ball and it got kicked in your yard. I mean, it's the end of the world, right? Like, if you're that guy, you don't, don't join EBC Kids, Emmanuel, I can't talk, E-Kids. Don't join it, stay away from it. Unless you want to be an admin, then you can join it. But otherwise, stay away. We want kids to know that Jesus loves them. And if you're a cranky old man or a cranky young man or woman or girl, whatever, um, you're probably not going to show them that Jesus loves them. You'd be more like, Jesus is a cranky old man. I don't want Jesus. He's mean. That it, we don't want that presentation. So if that's not you, and you're like, you know, I love kids, I love Jesus, I want kids to know Jesus loves them. I want you to do this. Text Kids 2020, this is all right here, to 603, write it down, 668, you can do it right now, I'll give you permission, 603-668-6473, text Kids 2021. Now, what I'm going to do here is because I keep claiming COVID brain. Yes, Kids 2021. When you text that, you'll get a little box that says tap to load preview. Don't do that. Just tap the bottom. And it's going to open up to, it's going to open up to this little handy dandy link. We're going to add one more thing to the drop down menu, which is going to be administration. Fill your name out. I would like to work with kids age nursery, K through second grade, third through fifth grade. You can pick them all if you want to, right? I know some of you are like, I love little kids, but third or fifth graders, I could just as soon see them eaten by a dog, right? <laughs> then make sure you check K through second. <laughs> I'm saying, I love kids, but I can't stand babies and pooping, and I don't want to listen to their crying pick the older. You follow? Are you with me? Uh, so we can have an idea of where you might want to work. And then the next one, area of interest or giftedness, teaching, helping, games, worship, nursery, and we're going to add one administration. Once you do that, you click continue, and we will get a message saying that you have asked to join the Emmanuel Kids Ministry 2021, and we're going to assemble that team. So even if you were serving in kids' ministries before COVID, or even if you're serving in kids' worship right now, I still want you to fill it out and submit it because we're creating a new group and we're going to have training. And if you served in kids' ministry in the past, you should have gotten an email with this information. If you didn't get an email, shame on you. You didn't give me the right email address. Or you have unsubscribed, you sinner. <laughs> and that is the measure that you need to fix. It's literally in Romans chapter 12. People of the way do not unsubscribe from their church's emails or text messages. I mean, it's in the Bible. I'm just kidding. 
looking for lightning bolts there. People of the way use their giftedness to grow their church numerically, financially, and in maturity. Okay? How are you doing? How are you doing? Are you using your giftedness to bless the body of Christ? Are you using your giftedness to expand the reach of the body of Jesus? What are you doing? In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a woman here. Um, her name is uh, Christy McKenna, and she is the founder of The Lighthouse. And it's an amazing ministry that she's starting. She's the wife of, of one of my one of my best pastor friends who pastors in Manchester. And, and the lighthouse is a home for battered and abused and trafficked women. And uh, she's going to have 10 women and their children at a time in this house. And they're going to bring them through counseling and Bible studies and life skills. And they're going to introduce them to Christ and get them plugged into a local church. And I believe that Emmanuel should be a part of this. And it's, it's, I, I met with her Friday. She is a, an amazing, amazing person. And you don't want to miss May 2nd, Lord willing. So maybe that's you. Maybe your giftedness is to help people learn how to cook. She's going to have two women a night preparing meals for the house. And she's going to need some ladies on the outside, some women. And, and I'm going to say women because I'm sure that men might trigger some of these girls and women. Uh, to maybe teach some of these, these ladies how to cook and do some basic life skills. So anyways, one of the measures that we're looking at is, is are we using our giftedness or are we, are we being selfish, selfish with it? The measure of belonging. The measure of belonging. Are you a faithful member of a local church? Are you a faithful member of that? He says, we're members of one another. You read the scripture with me. We're members of one another. We're not, we're not free agents. We're not solo, right? We're members of one another. You should belong to a local church. You should be beholden to one another. You should be accountable to one another. You should be serving one another. The scripture teaches us even that we should submit to one another. Another, and that's, that's one of the measurements of transformation, the measurements of, of being a person of the way is, are you plugged into a local body of believers? And I don't mean just showing up on Sunday. I mean, are you invested? I thank God that this past year our giving has increased over the COVID. It's amazing to me. It blows my mind. And you know what, though? There are other churches that are serving Jesus that are seeing the same thing. People are invested in their churches. Are you invested? Are you a member? Are you a part of the family? Or is church just some place that you come to? Right? Um, using your gifts as you use your gifts. Are your gifts governed by love? So it's one thing to use your gifts, but are your gifts governed by love? Sometimes we can use our gifts, and, and as a pastor teacher, I can become, uh, listen, full disclosure, I can become arrogant. I can become self-sufficient. One of my struggles is not to be self-sufficient. I've done this for a long, long, long time. I almost never get nervous when I stand in the pulpit. Almost never. And if I'm not careful, I'm not praying before I come up, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit, guide me, control me, lead me, direct me as I preach and teach your people. Right? We can, we can use our gifts without love. I have a gift of a... Of a, of a, of a the use of my tongue. 
I can, I can use my tongue to cut or to heal. The gift is both ways. I'm very nimble with my speech, and I can eviscerate people or I can lift people up. The gift is still there. It's how do we use it? Do we use it in love or do we use it for self? Anyways, we go on, the measure of love. <laughs> perfect segue. He says this, let your love be genuine. Let your love be genuine. Abhor what's evil, hold fast to that which is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And so that's another question for us. Uh, as we look at the measurement, as we look at the line on the graph, right? We can see, oh, I'm not distinctive in this area. I'm not distinctive in that area. Oh, I've got to, listen, I, I, I don't love well. I don't honor people. In fact, I try to drag people down to lift myself up. Is that you? I try to show people how much I know. Is that you? I try to belittle people. Is that you? I condemn people. Is that you? Or are you trying to, I, I mentioned that as we were reading it, are you trying to outdo one another in showing honor? You know, I know some pastors, they won't let anybody else in their pulpits preach. They don't want anybody else getting accolades in their church. If something is successful and someone else ran it, a ministry for instance, they take the, they take the credit. If it falls apart, then they say, well, Josh ran Trunk or Treat. Right? If it's awesome, they say, I ran Trunk or Treat and Josh helped me. Folks, we're not here to take credit. We're here to outdo each other in honor. Think about that the next time you have a conflict with each other. Out, we're literally looking for ways to love well, to be hospitable, and to show honor and respect. Looking for ways to do it. Those are the measurements. And so now we get to this, 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 this question. I want you to measure, no statement, I want you to measure yourself. Measure yourself. Are you backbiting? Are you busy cutting people down behind the scenes? Do you cut your church down? Is church something that's important to you or is it just some place you go? It's like the gym. On a good day, I'll go. If I'm not really feeling up to it, I don't go. Do you invest in your church? I know Angel called for generosity last week and he said maybe that's the next step in your spiritual growth, right? Giving is a sign of spiritual maturity. Where are you? Measure Yourself. So now we measure ourselves and we find out, okay, so, and that wasn't the full chapter. We'll go through some more of those verses maybe next week uh, in three weeks when I'm back in the pulpit. We've measured ourselves and we found out this. Okay, I'm lacking. Like my graph is like this and I'm down here and I'm up here and I'm up here and up here. What do we do about it? What do we do about the fact that we're not showing honor to one another? What do we do about the fact that we're not using our gifts and love? What do we do about this? How many of you were listening at the beginning of the sermon? What do we do about it? What do we do when we find out that we are not doing as well as we ought? Does anybody remember from the beginning? Do we just pull up our bootstraps and try harder? What do we do? What is the vehicle of transformation in our lives? First of all, we've got to recognize the measure, the test. We've got to look at the gauge. Say, okay, I'm, I'm not doing as well as I want. So now what? Now what? 
be more consistent in the time that you spend with Jesus. Bring those areas to him and say, Lord, these areas I've really been falling. I've been falling down on and and I, I want to be like you. And spend time with Jesus and talk to Jesus about those things. Lord, help me. And the more you spend time with Jesus, the more like Jesus you become. But be consistent about it. When we begin to look at our lives and we see that our lives are not exemplary of Christ, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. When you're backbiting and you're cutting people up, when you're not using your gifts with the local body of Christ, when you're not invested, when you're not loving people, when you're high-minded and haughty and self-centered. Folks, that's the gas gauge on your, on your vehicle of Christianity, and it's on empty. That's the oil gauge on the car my wife first drove that was her dad's car. Remember the Dodge, Dodge Dart, babe? Can I tell the story of the oil light? Like when the oil light comes on, Christians, in your life, your engine's about to cease. You know what I'm saying? Like I talked to my brother, and he's a, he's a, he's a Ford Master Tech, and, and we, we, we talk about cars once in a great while, and, and the one thing my brother's taught me is change the oil, Eric. It took me a lot of years to learn this. He's like, the number one thing you can do for your car is change your oil. It'll run forever if you change your oil. And I'm like, it's not supposed to look like this. And it's like... Black sludge. So when did you change the oil? I'm like, I don't know. I haven't yet. You follow? So what do you do? You consistently spend time with Jesus. And if you see those warning lights going on on the dashboard of your Christian life, you're high-minded, you're haughty, you're not loving, you're mean, you're backbiting, you're cutting people down. You're talking behind people's back. You name it. You read it with me. You're not part of a local body. You're not faithful to the local body that you're part of. You're not being generous. You're not giving consistently. Those lights are going off and it's telling you something is wrong. Spend more time with Jesus and do it consistently.